Right, we're in Daniel 4 and 5 today, and we're going to uh, walk through this, or maybe better jump through it in different uh, places, but you'll, you'll see that the two passages fit so well together that Daniel even goes out of chronological order to put these two instances where he interprets the dream of the king um, together because they really dovetail with one another. And for those that are, are new to the story of Daniel, the, the king of Babylon is named Nebuchadnezzar. And by this time in the story, by this time in the events of history, Nebuchadnezzar now has totally destroyed Jerusalem. Um, think September 11th times 10. Because that's what it would have been. It totally destroyed the capital, the temple, and has taken most of the people into slavery, into Babylon. That's who Nebuchadnezzar is, and that's who Daniel serves. And uh, what we find in this um, particular event, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar is troubled by another dream. Uh, had a similar story, different dream, a few chapters earlier. And none of his staff people can interpret it. So he remembers Daniel, thinks highly of Daniel, and then asks him to come. If you uh, uh, want to follow along, uh, on your pew Bible, page 721 is where we are. And uh, verse 18 is uh, where um, he calls Daniel to him. Verse 18 of chapter 4. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. Now you, Belteshazzar, and that's the Babylonian name for Daniel, declare the interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are unable to tell me the interpretation. You are able, however... And catch this, for you are endowed with a spirit of the holy gods. Now again, Nebuchadnezzar, he knew there was something different about Daniel. He, he knew there was something that was unusual about him. The only way Nebuchadnezzar knew it was to say, you've got something from the gods. He still didn't know that it was the God, Yahweh. But Daniel had earned his respect and his honor as his witness. Daniel, even after hearing the dream, is disturbed by it. Verse 19. Then Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar, was severely distressed for a while. His thoughts terrified him. The king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or the interpretation terrify you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. He was disturbed by the dream because he even had an affinity for this king, Nebuchadnezzar. He hears the dream and then interprets the dream that basically Nebuchadnezzar has a great kingdom, but he does not recognize that the position he's in is a gift from God. He does not realize that God, the Creator, Yahweh, is the supreme being over all of creation. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he is. I mean, he is the ruler of the known world, so he thinks that he is God. Verse 25. You shall be driven away 
from human society, and your dwelling shall be with wild animals. This is Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen. You shall be bathed with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and gives it to whom he will. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is to learn, that humility under the sovereign ruler of the universe. But Daniel, he, he wants Nebuchadnezzar to repent. Uh, those of you, if you're you know, familiar um, with uh, you know, Jonah in the belly of the well, you know, he didn't want the people of Nineveh to repent. But Daniel, he does. He wants this pagan king to repent. And so he, he tells him, verse 27... This is what you need to do to repent. Therefore, O king, may my counsel be acceptable to you. Atone for your sins with righteousness and your iniquities with mercy to the oppressed so that your prosperity may be prolonged. Just a little aside here that, that God will judge all rulers of every nation. God will judge all rulers according to His righteousness. And what he tells, what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar is the righteousness of God is the one who uses authority and power in order to care for the oppressed, to care for the weak. That's what he tells him his righteousness is and what he needs to do to repent. And so we're told that, that he does for about a year. And as is often the case, and I can understand it with Nebuchadnezzar being the emperor of the known world and all, He loses sight of what Daniel had told him. And he again thinks of himself too highly. And so God teaches him humility and has him act like an animal for seven years. Which, by the way, is actually a real disease. Boanthropy. So I found out as I was looking into this. Until he's released from his seven years beginning with verse 34. Which will... uh, be on the screen. Verse 34 through 37 is then Nebuchadnezzar's psalm. Really, a psalm of praise as he is released from these seven years of disease. When that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored the One who lives forever. For his sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does what he wills with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can stay his hand or say to him, What are you doing? At that time my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom." My counselors and my Lord sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are truth and his ways are justice. And he is able to bring low those who walk in pride. If ever there was a theme Of these two passages, it's that last verse. God is able to bring low those who walk in pride. 
and thankfully by God's mercy in the work of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar heard, felt, experienced that humility and turned to God in his pagan evil actions, pagan evil empire and turned to give God the praise and worship that he is due. Now the next chapter, similar situation, but a little different ending. Here we have King Belshazzar. And just a little aside here, a little little history here. uh, As um, those that are are interested in, in this. Those of you that aren't, just humor me for a minute. The passage says that uh, Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, not really. And, and what happens in um, some cases is that you, know, you go off and folks say, Look, you see, he says that he's uh, uh, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but the Bible's wrong. Well, you know, in, in biblical, both Old Testament and New Testament, you know, to call someone their son, especially in genealogy, doesn't mean like we mean it. It just means they're in the male lineage. They can be grandsons, they could be great-grandsons, they can be sons-in-laws even. And it means the same thing, and that's the case. Because actually the current king in, this, in the day of um, chapter 5 is Nabonidus. And he was away. Don't know exactly why he was away, but the vice president is Belshazzar. So that's why he's the one first in command. And the way he's related to Nebuchadnezzar is that the queen is the great-granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. So anyway, Belshazzar, like the vice president, um, for a long time, um, it, was, it wasn't believed that he was a real person because there was no other external source that pointed to him, that named him, thought it was just a made-up character. Until about 60, 70 years ago, and as more things are found, all of a sudden, here we find out there is a Belshazzar who was exactly the vice president under Nabonidus and who served while he was away doing different things. So, there we go. There's a nice little history lesson for the the three of you that are interested. (laughs) But what King Belshazzar decides to do is to have a fraternity party of all fraternity parties. Puts any current fraternity party to shame. And in the midst of his drunken stupor, he sees a hand appear writing on the wall. That's where the saying comes. The writing is on the wall. And he gets really weirded out by it all. Overwhelmed with fear. Unsure where it's coming from and no one can interpret the writings. The queen remembers Daniel and calls him. Says, come on, Daniel can tell us what has happened. And Belshazzar offers him, saying, I'll make you third in command. So that's the highest he can make him, because there's king, then there's him, then the next one in command. I'll make you third in command if you can interpret these writings. And here we pick up chapter 5, verse 17. Then Daniel answered in the presence of the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, or give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king And let him know the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, kingship, greatness, glory, and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. 
He killed those he wanted to kill, kept alive those he wanted to keep alive, honored those he wanted to honor, and degraded those he wanted to degrade. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he acted proudly, he was deposed from his kingly throne and his glory was stripped from him. He was driven from human society and his mind was made like that of an animal. His dwelling was with the wild asses. He was fed grass like oxen and his body was bathed with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and sets over it whomever he will. And you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels of his temple have been brought in before you and you and your lords... Your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God, in whose power is your very breath, and to whom belong all your ways, you have not honored. And that very night... The Median Persian army invades, kills the king, and destroys once and for all the mighty Babylonian empire. The call of these two passages of Daniel is clear for all people. To humility before the almighty creator God in whose hand rests the very breath of every human being. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Daniel are called to humility before God. God is greater than we can imagine or consider. No matter what. No matter what exile we find ourselves in. God is still sovereign and in control. And we humbly serve Him. Trust and faith are to be ours even in exile. By the time of chapter 5 with Belshazzar's feast, the end of the Babylonian Empire, Daniel's probably 80 years old. He's been serving in Babylon longer than he was alive in Jerusalem. And yet somehow, even at the end, he is able to stand firm, humbly before God, but firmly before the king, and say... Humble yourself, O mighty king, before the one who is the king. Somehow he is able, to the power of God, to have that faith and that trust even after 40 years in exile. When I walked in here early this morning, I saw the communion table and was reminded it was communion. And that's always a sigh of relief to me. Because it means, oh, I can blow it and God still got His Word. I can blow it and we're still going to gather around the table and God's going to do His thing in spiritual ways that are beyond my understanding. God's going to work through the bread and the cup of the table to nourish our faith, to deepen us and strengthen us so that when we leave here and go back into exile, He will deepen and strengthen our faith. 
Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar needed to heed the word of Daniel. That God is supreme over all human authority no matter what they believed. Daniel didn't care what they believed. He knew what was true. No matter what human authorities we face, they answer to God. Their last name is Marx or Stalin. The Duvaliers, Robert Mugabe, or any of the presidents of the United States. Any of the people that are in power, in, in government places, in business, whatever it might be. Police, schools, law, armed forces. They answer ultimately to the supreme ruler of the universe. God has seen empires rise and fall. Whole generations come and go. I mean, even the day of of Daniel here, I mean, Babylon, that's just a word in history books now. The Persian Empire, just a word in history books now. But the Word of God that was written in that day is still in play. And the people of God who are active and people like Daniel, Meshach, and Shadrach, and Abednego are still at work today. Because God is the eternal, supreme ruler of the universe in whom all are called to humility. Look too at the humility of Daniel. His ministry in exile teaches us and leads us for our ministry while we are in exile. A humble expression throughout his 40 years of gifts and his abilities that were given from God. Again, he's not overbearing or bombastic or arrogant or angry. There is a humility before Almighty God that leads to service even in a 40-year call to an involuntary mission work. He didn't want to be there. But he served there under God. Seeking continually to serve God and all that God placed him under. It was a humility yet without being intimidated. He he spoke the truth of righteousness and justice in the midst of a place that that wasn't normally heard. I'm going to ask Natalie Purcell to come up here. She's the, the director of our fine arts team here. The leader of the fine arts team. And she had a situation where... She was in a place that maybe doesn't normally speak to the words of God where she was able, enabled, to do that. Now, Natalie, usually behind the scenes, but don't worry, they don't bite, they're really very kind and very nice. What you guys don't know about me is that I'm extremely stage fright. It's the yellow one. There we go. See if it works now. Hello? What you guys don't know about me is I'm very stage fright, very behind the scenes. Um, a few years ago, I went on a trip with, to visit a friend and his family in Wisconsin. And at this point in my life, I was learning to hear God and to follow what God told me. And um, I was very, very uncomfortable praying out loud and praying with people. I hate to be put on the spot, very stage fright. And his parents owned a bar. So we were at this bar. 
And there were a few people in there, and there was one man who was particularly very depressed. He was at his end, and he was just wanted anybody to listen to him. And his daughter had cancer, and he was just at his end. And I felt God nudging me to pray with him. And I'm like, God, you know, I think you want me to pray with him. But listen, if you want me to, you're going to have to send all these people away. And that instant when I said that, everybody just wandered off for no reason and actually left the room. Didn't just walk away, but left the room. And then that instant I knew, I was like, man, I'm going to have to do it. God set up the situation. And so I asked him if he wanted me to pray for him. And he said yes. And I was like, God, you're going to have to tell me what to say because I have no idea what to say to this man. And I just, you know, I just... I just started praying with him, and he actually made it really easy. He just took over. He had so much to say to God. He just took over and did the whole prayer almost by himself. Thanks. What, what I appreciated that were a number of things. But one, you know, the, uh, the, the fear and the seeming humiliation that was approaching that actually turned into wonderful glory, and also the simplicity of it. Um, I was watching the first part of The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. It was on TV last night. And there's a, a great scene when the three um, children, or four children, are, are with the beavers. And the, the beavers are explaining to the four children, you're the fulfillment of the prophecy. And they're like, what? You are mistaken. We are not heroes. We're just kids. And... I can, each one of us, I'm sure, could say, we're not Daniel, we're just people. We are all Daniel. We are all Daniels, whether it's in a bar, whether it's in a boardroom, whether it's on a playing field, whether it's in a schoolroom, whether it's in a home. I don't know, you think of the wildest places. We are called to be humbled before God. And to enter into even the most humbling places because God is there. And God is supreme. God is the ruler. The humility of Daniel calls us to all kinds of places, yet without being intimidated to speak the truth in love. And to speak the truth in every situation. What I also love about Daniel is his patience. That humility leads to patience. God's timetable is not Daniel's timetable. And in exile it's so easy to be impatient. Look at how often Daniel faithfully served Nebuchadnezzar. But look at how God used it evangelistically. Now, Daniel never pulled out the four laws. He never pulled out the bridge to peace. Never invited him to a Billy Graham crusade. He faithfully served him. He faithfully served God. Humbled himself before God. And waited for God to work. Because in exile, that's often what has to happen. There are some times that we're not in exile. I went to Poland, spent a summer in Poland in the early 1990s. Man, talk about fruitful 
Talk about a place that wasn't in exile. All you had to do was just go up to some. Hey, listen, I'm from America. I'm a, co- I'm a seminary student, and we're here to talk to people about God. You want to talk? Yeah, sure. Here's a park bench. Let's, how about sitting down right here with me? And, and this was on the beach during summer vacation. Not the place that you usually are going to have spiritual conversations. Matter of fact, did the same thing in the United States and with uh, Daytona Beach. And we had to do backflips, literally, to draw a crowd. And this was in the mid-80s. And in those cases, we'd draw a crowd, then we'd stop and from what we were doing and say, hey, we're here to share with you about Jesus Christ. You know, we believe there really is... And by that time, three-quarters of the crowd is turned and walking away. Not interested in hearing. When we're in exile, there is a patience. There is a, a patient serving and waiting for the time that God opens the door. My brother of, well, he's 40, of 40 years, was just baptized in February. I remember coming home from college early 80s, over 20-something years ago. And I had my Bible in hand. And I shared with him the gospel. Beat him over the head with the Bible. And intimidated and overwhelmed, he said, sure, okay, whatever you say. And never set foot in the church again. Until year ago, met a certain individual who was part of a local church and this certain female cared for him. Just shared life with him. His family welcomed him in. Her church welcomed him in. And lo and behold, last February they were married and this February he was getting dunked in the waters of baptism. In exile, it can take a long time for God to work. For us to build relationships and really, as Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life said, earn the right to be heard. But it's a humble patience and reliance on God. That's also why we're giving seedlings to you. to, To give to friends, both as an opportunity, as a metaphor. A seedling just to offer to friends in order to... Maybe they're Nebuchadnezzar's, maybe they're not. To be a way to interact with those who don't know Christ. A way to develop relationships. In in the atrium, Chris has tree seedlings. that Just... You can take one and take them to a friend, a neighbor, whomever, and just say, you know, my crazy church is giving away trees. And they're saying, we want us to give them away. So here, I'd love to give you this tree. Can we plant it together? Who knows where the conversation will lead after that? Who knows where the relationship will lead? As we bathe it in prayer and humility before the sovereign God of the universe who can change even the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the tree is also a metaphor. It's a metaphor from a humble seedling that really looks nothing more than a little stick. 
of how God can use us as we humble ourselves in exile, can use us little sticks in time, patience, faithfulness, and humility to grow a huge tree of relationships, of connection, of witnessing to the love and power of God to those that don't know Him and even today don't care. Friends, as the musicians get in place, ushers get ready to take up the offering. Let us, as we live in exile, submit ourselves humbly to God wherever He has us in faith and in strength, humility unto Him for the work that He can do that's beyond our wildest imagination. Amen.